John chapter number 13 tonight. And um, uh, we'll just kind of summarize the first several verses here you're familiar with. Jesus is in the upper room. And the Bible says in verse number four, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. So you must understand that this must have been a very somber evening, certainly. And uh, to watch their Lord and their Savior uh, take this role upon himself and to serve them in this way must have been a, must have been a mighty, mighty um, illustration for them in their minds. And I want to really get to the, to the meat of things. In verse number 12, the Bible says, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. The Lord's help tonight, I'd like to preach to you a message that I've just simply entitled, Wash Feet. Wash Feet. On the night Jesus was betrayed, on the night he was arrested, he spent some time beforehand with his disciples observing the Passover in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. As I was reading this text, the Bible tells us in verse number two that the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And I think that's an interesting statement. I think it's an interesting phrase. But as I, as I, as I read this text, I, I got to thinking that to me it seems like Judas wasn't the only one in the room that the devil had gotten into his heart. I don't, I don't know that, that Judas was the only person in that room that that the devil had maybe a, a bit of a stronghold in, 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 in the life of. Apparently, this upper room did not come furnished with a servant to do the dreaded task of washing feet. And in this culture, most places that you would go would have someone there they would assign or they were prepared to, to do this, can we, just, can we just say it in this way, this disgusting task. This was reserved for the lowest of the low. This was reserved uh, for the slaves, for the servant. When there was no one assigned to do so. In this room, as they arrived, perhaps maybe they, they walked in and they thought immediately someone would be there ready to kneel down and remove their, uh, their sandals, their shoes, and, and place their feet in a basin. When they arrived, there was no one there to do so. Someone, someone of Christ's followers should have stepped forward to do it. Someone would have, should, should have said, you know, well, I, I guess there's nobody here prepared to do it. There's nobody assigned to do it. And, 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 and so I, I, guess I'll, I guess I'll just do it. I'll just take care of it. Here, bring, your, bring yourselves over here and, and, and let, me, let me prepare a, a basin of water. and Let me get a towel and, and, uh, and, and let, me, let me do this for you. But it seems to me that each of them were too filled with pride to make the first step toward washing the feet of those who had come to this meal. Can I just pause here for a moment and say that pride will destroy everything that it inhabits. Pride is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. 
The Bible says in Psalm 138 and verse number 6, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. At the top of the list is a proud look. Luke 14 and verse number 11, the Bible says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Pride will destroy a marriage. It'll destroy, destroy a home. It'll destroy a church. It'll destroy a culture. You know, Jesus had taught them a great deal in the three and a half years that they had been together. But it seems obvious that pride was still a significant part of their lives. It was still a, it was still a, a, a stronghold that needed to be dealt with. Here's the point. If they were going to advance Christ's gospel in the years to come, they were going to have to let go of their pride and their overinflated sense of self-worth. They were going to have to put their lives on the line in order to advance the gospel. They were going to have to do some humbling things. They were going to have to let go of their pride. What Christ does in this text is perhaps in all of his life, his entire ministry of which the Bible says that there, there aren't enough books in the world that could have contained all of the works that Christ did. I think in some respects this might have been one of his greatest and his most impactful lessons. He washed feet when no one else would do it. Can I just say that local church ministry is the greatest work going on in the world today? I believe that with all of my heart. In other words, what we do here, what, what we did here today, what we're doing here tonight, there is nothing, there is nothing in all of the world more important than what's happening here. I mean, you think about it for just a moment. A man came in here this morning and he did not know Christ as his Savior and if his life were to end, he'd be out in eternity. I came off the platform this morning. Another man was waiting for me. He said, can I just share my testimony with you real quick? And I said, certainly. He said, 1993, he said, I had plans to take my own life. He said, I even attempted it. He said, you know what's so significant about that? He said, I didn't get saved until seven years ago as a result of this church. He said, if I would have been successful in taking my life in 1993, he said, I don't even want to think about where I would be. Listen, there's nothing, there's nothing more important in all of the world than local church ministry. However, However, a properly functioning church requires people doing things that are humbling. In other words, there's no way, there's no way that what went on here today could have gone on here today unless someone, unless someone stepped forward and said, I'll let go of some of my pride and I'll do some things that nobody else wants to do. Changing a diaper. Knocking on a door. Getting on a cold bus on a Sunday morning. Showing up for a choir practice at 4.30 in the afternoon every Sunday. Sharing your Bible with someone who maybe doesn't quite look like you. Sitting with a child on a hard bench in a Sunday school classroom instead of sitting with your family in a padded pew. Giving excess funds away to help with a special project or offering. And can I just say we could go on. We could give a thousand other things or other ways of service that are forms in some respects of washing feet. 
These are things that often many don't want to do or will refuse to do. But listen, they must be done in order to advance the gospel, that the gospel can impact lives. In other words, listen, we, we, don't, we don't practice literal foot washing in a literal sense as a church, but can I say there are a myriad of ways that you can serve the Lord and you can serve others in humility, which I believe, listen, was the great lesson that Christ was trying to convey. In other words, in other words, if I could say it this way, it really wasn't about washing feet. It was about being willing to do what no one else wanted to do and leading in that effort. Sincere serving the Lord will never say, that's not my job. Doesn't, doesn't matter who you are. A sincere servant of the Lord will never find those words coming out of his mouth. I've been blessed to grow up in this church. Throughout my life, I've seen many, many hundreds of people at Cleveland Baptist do whatever it took to make a gospel impact. What I'm going to do tonight you almost hesitate a little bit because you think to yourself, well, I'm probably going to leave somebody out. And yet, and yet, if you come to me after the service and you're in a huff and a puff because I left you out, you missed the point of the whole message altogether. You, you're, you're telling on yourself. You're saying, I was in the service, but I wasn't really listening. And so I'm just going to do it. If you allow me this opportunity with my own eyes, with my own eyes, I have watched Roger Hoffman swing a hammer. Lou Engle teach a Sunday school class of boys. By the way, some of these people are with the Lord. I, I've watched Ken Williams change a light bulb. I've watched Jim Jones hold a sign protesting abortion on a rainy, cold day. With my own eyes, I watched Helen Johnson and Dave Latham drive a church bus. I've watched Bruce Witzke crawl out from underneath a bus with grease covering his clothes. I've watched Lois Mosier and Nancy Folger and a host of others collate, fold, staple, and cut scripture portions. I've watched Debbie Saplita play the piano for thousands of church services. I've watched Adrian Vance stand in the lobby and greet thousands of guests and regular attenders alike. I've observed Brian Miller write hundreds of devotions for police officers and public servants. I, with my own eyes, have observed Jack Beaver knock on a door to tell someone about Jesus. I've watched a group of ladies in our church write notes of comfort, sympathy, and encouragement. I've watched Amy Hoffman and Holly Lawn kneel down next to a kindergarten student who's having a bad day. I've watched John Cardamus fill a Christmas tree with ornament cards containing gift ideas for our bus riders. I've watched Jean Jones and her team love those with special needs. I've watched Steve Yelenick and others drive a van throughout the West Side to pick up riders for Sunday and Wednesday night services. Listen, I could go on and on and on, but I think you get the idea. For every person I mentioned, I could have mentioned probably 10 more. Listen, this church isn't a great church because of how many are auditorium seats. There's nothing to do with it. This church isn't a great church because of how many parking sp spaces there are on our parking lot. This church isn't a great church because of how much money was given in 2023 or how many we baptized last year. Listen, this, if this church is great, this church is great because its members wash feet on a regular basis. They do what they have to do in order to love the Lord, in order to serve the Lord, in order to love others and to serve others. Why is that significant? Because it reflects humility. 
Can I just say, if we ever lose this, as a church, collectively, if we ever lose this, this spirit, we'll cease to be a great church. And God's power will fade. Because as we read a moment ago, God resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble. Christ's willingness to wash feet teaches us these three important lessons. I don't think we're going to be here long tonight. Let me say, number one, I believe that as we observe this, this scenario taking place, number one, we see this first thought is that leaders are to lead in washing feet. Leaders are to lead in washing feet. Can I, can I say that as I, as I got into this text, I was overcome by this thought, and here it is, titles don't exempt anyone from washing feet. I mean, did you see it? G- Jesus says, do you know what I've done to you? I mean, what a piercing question. I mean, I just have to think that it just sort of hovered in the room. No one was going to answer that that night. Because I have to think they were also humbled by what Jesus had done. He says, do you know what I've done to you here tonight? And then he goes on to say, ye call me master and Lord. And ye say, well, he says, you know what? That's exactly who I am. I am master, and I am Lord. And he goes on to say in verse number 14, If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Listen, they were actively in the habit of calling, they were calling him regularly, Master, Lord. They called him that. Those are significant titles. Listen, there's not a person in this room, <laughs> there's no one around here that should ever expect to be called by these titles. Man, if I walked into a room and someone was referring to somebody else's master, we'd have a problem, right? You know, if I if I observe one of you saying, you know, from now on, just call me Lord, and that'll be good. You know, we'd we'd have a little issue, wouldn't we? There's no there's nobody there's nobody within ten thousand miles of this place that deserves titles like this. He's the only one that's worthy of a title like that. There is only one master. There is only one Lord in the Christian life. And that's not me. It's not you. And it's never going to be me. It's only him. And yet Jesus, listen, Jesus is master and Lord. Washed feet. I, um, hard to believe. Hard to believe that this June for five years, I will, I will have been your pastor. I just have to tell you, I love that, I love that title. And I don't want to, I don't want to make it anything more, more than it is. I just, I just love the, t- I just love doing what I do. I love serving the Lord in, in this way. I got to thinking, you know, I've had three pastors in my life. My childhood pastor, as a boy growing up till I was 16 years old, was Roy Thompson. And then my dad became my pastor for nearly 24 years, and during that period of time, I sort of had an adopted pastor. I had a second pastor who was the pastor of the church that I attended during my college years. His name was Clarence Sexton. And just a couple of weeks ago, he went home to be with the Lord. So two of these pastors are now with the, with the Lord. You know, I just, I just think every believer should have a pastor. I really do. I, I think, and by the way, it, it's, more than just, it's more than just sitting in a, in a church saying, that's my pastor. It's allowing, it's allowing that person to speak into your life. It's allowing that person to come alongside of you and, and to try to, and to try to help you if, if possible. And by the way, I think probably you folks have helped me more than I've helped you. But I do believe every believer should have a pastor. And this title gets more meaningful to me the, the longer I serve in this role. So some of you call me pastor or pastor Pete. And that's, to me, it's beautiful. It's one of the 
most beautiful sounds in all the world. Others of you call me preacher, and I like that too. I, I don't know, I like that title. That's what I am. I'm a preacher. Some of you call me Pete. And you're looking at me saying, uh-oh, are we in trouble? No, that's my name. So, of course, you can call me Pete. That's fine. That's fine. I, I have no problem with that. Some in here, some in this room, you have, a, you have a title. Maybe your title is assistant pastor. Maybe your title is deacon. Maybe your title is head usher, music director, Sunday school teacher, junior church preacher, bus captain. The list could go on and on. Listen, for every one of us in this room that has a title, remember this. Jesus was master and Lord. Those were his titles. And he still washed feet. Therefore, listen, therefore, you need to wash feet too. I'm, I'm preaching to myself, church family. Uh, you're, the, you're the pastor. You shouldn't have to do that. The other day I came in and there was something on the pew. Looked like powdered sugar to me. And so I just went, I got a, a little vacuum cleaner. I brought it in. And 10 people tried to knock me over to take that thing away from me. <laughs> you're the pastor. You shouldn't be that. What in the world is that supposed to mean? Come on. I, pre- I appreciate the sentiment. And I appreciate you looking out for me. But I'm just simply saying, listen, titles don't exempt anyone from washing feet. I can, run, I can run a vacuum cleaner, a, a, a mean vacuum cleaner, just like anybody else in this room can. And I can empty trash, and I can mop a floor, and I can wash a window if I need to, and I can make a visit in the middle of the night, and I can, I can sit down with a, with a child in my office and try to keep them occupied. And this morning after the service, I got to sit in my office with someone and lead them to Christ. And, and I, I, listen, I can do anything that you can do, and, and, and I should do anything that you should do and that you're willing to do, because titles don't exempt anyone from washing feet. None of us. I think the second thing, the second great truth that he talks to us about in this idea of leaders are to lead is he says this, if, listen, leaders in this church, if you'll wash feet, others will follow. In other words, if you'll get a hold of this tonight and you'll say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've been doing it, but I'm gonna keep doing it. Listen, you know, we don't, we, we don't have anywhere near 100% success rate. I'm talking about young people who grew up in this church that are still serving the Lord. And I just have to tell you, I'm, I'm sometimes burdened about the fact that some of our young people have left here and have walked away from here and, 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 are, and are other places. It, it bothers me. But I just have to tell you, as I look around, I'm looking at in every section, there are people who grew up in this church that are serving today in this church. You know why that is? Because they observed just as I did. They watched people who had titles on their hands and knees scrubbing a floor or pulling weeds or, or pushing a shovel in the winter or driving a church bus or doing whatever it took, kneeling down next to someone to pray with them, or, or helping a young child find their way to their correct bus, and, and, and they observe those things, and I observe those things, and I am where I am tonight because I watched, I watched leaders, people who had titles, who said, that doesn't exempt me from washing feet. I, I may be a deacon, I may be a Sunday school teacher, I may be an usher, I may be a pastor, an assistant pastor, but I still have a job to do in the local church. I believe that with all my heart. I, I am where I am today because I watched people who were real. Leaders. Jesus said, Jesus said, listen, if I've done it, then you ought to do it. I think it's interesting that Jesus not only set an example for others to follow, but he, but he placed this expectation on them that they should do as he had done. J- Jesus didn't just do it and sort of lead by example, but, but Jesus led by example, yes, but, but he, he verbalized his expectations to them. 
It had been powerful enough for him to kneel down at their feet and to wash their feet that night and not to have said anything. That would have been powerful. But he didn't stop there, did he? No, he said, you ought to do as I have done to you. So can I just say that if, if, I have, if I have washed feet, can I just say to those of you sitting out here tonight that you ought to wash feet too? That you ought to, you ought to do as, as I've tried to do. And if we'll all just determine every Sunday, every Sunday I'm coming and I'm not here, I'm not here to be served, I'm not here to be ministered unto, but I'm here to wash some feet. It'll change, it'll change our church. It'll change our world, it'll change our lives. As we wash feet ourselves and teach others to do similarly, we'll find another generation coming behind us. We'll pick up the towel and the basin and they'll pour the water in a figurative sense and they too will wash feet. There's a second thing I want you to notice, and that is this. A church full of foot washers is a happy place. A church full of foot washers is a happy place. You know, um, I, I thought, you know, think of, think of the worst chore around your house. You got that in your mind? Perhaps you hate taking out the trash. Or maybe you hate walking the dog. Or you hate cleaning the bathtub or mopping the floors or dusting the furniture or washing the windows. Listen, no amount of positive thinking can bring joy to these activities. They just are what they are. We often despise them and simply, we just simply endure them. But listen, Jesus taught that happiness in the church comes by doing things that no one else wants to do. Happiness comes by serving. So a church full of foot washers is a happy place. I, I just want to say what's obvious. Happiness in a church, first of all, is not based on the church meeting your needs. Happiness in a church is not based on that. Most people, as they're, as they're contemplating a, a, another church, they spend a considerable amount of time visiting churches trying to find the right one. And they want a tour of the nurseries to make sure that they're up to their standards. They want a list of nursery workers so they can perform background checks on them. They, they want to meet with the pastor and discuss his ministry philosophy. They want to know how many teen activities are offered and, and, and they want to hope and they, and they hope that the young adults are meeting regularly for fellowship and Bible study. And, and it's, as, it's as if, it's like this idea, if a, if a church can check all of my boxes and that's the church for me. Can I, just, can I just pause here for a moment and say the church isn't here to meet every 21st century need or expectation that modern Christianity has developed. That's not what the church is for. You Listen, you will never be happy in a church so long as your happiness is based on that church meeting your needs. Jesus himself said it. He said, listen, your, your happiness is not based on somebody doing things for you. Now this is opposite to the way that we think. This is, this is counter everything that your flesh will tell you. But, but, but hear God and hear his word tonight. And don't, some of, you, some of you right now, the devil's whispering in your ear, yea, hath God said? Come on, this guy's crazy. You know better than that. You'll only be happy so long as the pastor says this or does this or gives you this opportunity or whatever the case might be. And I'm just here to say, listen, Jesus himself said, if you know these things, Happy are ye if ye do them. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, hey, listen, get, get used to foot washing because it's the only way you're going to be happy. 
And yet we have created a culture that says happiness is based on me having everything just the way I like it. Everything being just perfect. And I've got my pew and I've got my parking space. And I've got, you know, I've got this and I've got that and I've got this position and it, and it fulfills me and it makes me happy. I carry a title and everybody knows that I've been around forever. And I just want you to know something. You'll never be happy so long as you think your happiness is based on others doing things for you or the church meeting all of your needs. Happiness isn't based on that. Happiness in a church, number two, is based on serving. I mean, to borrow from a mid-20th century politician, who said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Listen, it's not what the church can do for you, but it's what you can do for the church. Jesus taught that true joy is not found in being served, but it's found rather in serving. You know, periodically I'll field complaints from people about things maybe around here, and not always, but many times it comes from people who really aren't doing a whole lot. They're just, you know, they're just here. I received, I received a letter this week. It was a, it was, I, you know, sort of a hate mail. Can you believe that? Come on. Why would anybody? <laughs> they signed their name. And, um, you know, I read it. And I, and I, I read the name. This person claims, they claim that they're here. I have no idea who they are. Honestly, I, I've been asking because I want to make it right with this person. Man, I, I want to I call them. I, I want to I schedule a meeting with them. Please, can we sit down? Can we talk about some of your frustrations? I don't even know who they are. Well, listen, they very well, they, they might even be here tonight for all I know. I don't know. But I don't recognize the name. I have, I, our staff will tell you, I've reached out to several people this week. Do you know this person? I'm, I'm just simply saying it just sort of reinforced sometimes the fact that Sometimes those that have the most complaints are those that maybe aren't doing a whole lot. Not around a whole lot. They're, they're, they're not, maybe, maybe not serving a lot. Maybe it's an alias. Maybe it's somebody that is using a pen name or something. I don't know. But I'm just simply saying, listen, happiness in a church is based on serving the Lord. When you quit washing feet, it won't be long before you lose joy and happiness. Unless you start washing feet again, you'll be miserable You'll be miserable. You'll likely look for an escape route at some point. Jesus said, if you know these things and do them, he says you'll be happy. That just, I just I looked it up. It means supremely blessed. You know, Sundays are exhausting days, but I gotta tell you, it's a good kind of exhaustion. Knowing, knowing that, that you've ministered, that you've tried to impact others, and you've served an internal purpose, it just makes you happy. It makes you happy. And so... A church full of foot washers is a happy place, but I think maybe even more important than that, a church full of foot washers pleases Christ. Because listen, it's not about our happiness. That could be the missing component in some of your lives. You're saved, but you're not really all that happy. But can I say, listen, even more important than that, a church full of foot washers is going to be a place that is pleasing to Christ. Jesus said in verse number 15, do as I have done to you. If we will do as he has done, we will please him. And that is the highest level of living in the Christian life. So come with me tonight to the upper room. 
and see him as he rises from supper. He lays aside his garments. He girds himself with a towel. He pours water into a basin and he kneels down and he begins to do what no one else will do. And why don't you just determine, you know, in 2024 and beyond, I'm going to do what no one else wants to do. I'm going to wash feet. I'm going to lay aside my title. I'm going to forget about all of that. And I'm just going to serve. I'm going to serve the Lord and I'm going to serve others. What a, what a novel concept. I believe, listen, I believe if we'll begin to do this, it will revolutionize our homes, our church, our culture, our world, our workplace, our neighborhoods. At the very least, listen, if it doesn't, it doesn't impact all of those things, it will impact you. In two ways. Number one, it'll make you happy. It'll give you real joy, lasting joy. You'll be supremely blessed. And number two, you'll please Christ. This seems, as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm observing him, verses four and five, it's so humiliating, isn't it? So far beneath him. Can we honestly say that we are doing as he has done? Can we say that we're doing the ministry tasks that no one else wants to do? Listen, this is the path to pleasing the Lord. Doing as he has done to us. Our heads